0: Welcome back, all you out there. You're listening to episode 79 of Double Hot Beat, where we take the pulse of the beer and brewing scene. I'm James, a home brewer and craft beer enthusiast.
1: And I'm Shannon, a beer intermediate. We have been busy in the home brewery with different projects. And I guess I should add to my tag, I'm a beer intermediate and cider, cider novice. wine and a, novice. A novice winemaker. <laughs> I'm really branching out here.
0: She's branching out. She's just picking every style. Before we know it, she'll just have a distillery.
1: Yeah, James is honing one part of the craft and I'm just like, "Let's see what else is out there and do other things." Cuz I feel like you've really you've really have the knowledge on the beer side. So why not try to add to the repertoire of double hot beat by bringing in some other fermented items? Bring in
0: more <laughs> fermented stuff into our house. Exactly. Cuz you know how Shannon likes flocculation nation.
1: I do like flocculation nation, so I say it every time I start fermenting something.
0: You'd be a really good like <laughs> brand ambassador for yeast. Like I'm surprised. I know. People hit me for up yeast Omega yeast. <laughs> <laughs> hit me up. Imperial, White Labs, whatever. Yeah,
1: anyone. Hit me up. I will Shannon proudly flocculate nation. you everywhere.
0: <laughs> I will flocculate you everywhere.
1: That sounds like something that they don't want me to do.
0: No, it sounds like you've already lost the job. Yeah, they're like,
1: "Oh, that sounds great. Never mind. Never mind. Just kidding. Never mind. Out, cross her name off the list."
0: Yeah, you pitched too much yeast on that one, Shannon.
1: I did. I was a little heavy-handed. My yeast has stopped flocculating. She you
0: overpitched, and just that fermenter was. I was just coming off. in too
1: hot, and the yeast were like, "Whoop!" Screeching halt. Yep. <laughs> well, okay, so I made a cider. Let's get into let's it. Let's start with the
0: cider. Okay, let's start with the cider.
1: Well, it's something we haven't done before. I'm, I know people love to hear us talk about beer, but cider is in season and we haven't made a cider before. So I did use a kit. I did not mash my own apples for this first batch. So spoiler alert, it's a kit. Um, but James got me a kit at our local homebrew shop, wanted to try something. He was went in to get me a new wine kit And then was like, hey, why don't we try cider? And I was like, sure, sounds great.
0: So why not add some cider? Yeah.
1: So overall, it was pretty simple. It's basically the apple concentrated apple juice, mix it with sugar and hot water, mix it up good. And I just used our brew bucket for that. And then you, after you're done mixing and the temperature is right, because you add cold water after the mix mixture is done and the sugar is melted or is incorporated well, then you add. Cold water, and then you pitch your yeast when the temperature's right. So it was a pretty simple, I mean, if you're looking for something that doesn't take a lot of time to start with, then cider could be for you. But the after process is a little bit longer, so that's something to take into consideration. So it didn't seem too crazy. I was able to do it like, I don't know, it took me maybe half an hour just to kind of get everything together, sanitize, mix, get the water Wait for it to cool down a little bit, then add my yeast.
0: So very similar to like if you're extract brewing, I found like with the process of like making sure that you're, instead of wort, this was just your apple concentrate Mm -hmm. in there, but making sure that temperature is right before you pitch the yeast and adding cold water to what you've already had together. It's very similar, which is kind of cool that you still can find similarities in these different processes but as you mentioned it does get a little bit more specific in to ciders
1: so I used the mangrove jack's craft series cider kit so that kit included the concentrated syrup and the yeast as well as a sweetener that we put in later on so fermentation was pretty quick it was four days unless you had or four days if you had like a hot packet that you also want to add because there are ciders that have hops in it And then it was six days without the hop packet. So mine was six days because we didn't have that. I did find that it wasn't fermenting as vigorously as I I wasn't really flocculating that great. Um, So I did do a little kind of stir to get it started again. Same thing that happened with my wine originally. So I'm not really sure how that's going to impact the outcome of the cider. Because right now it's still in the bottle. So we haven't tasted it yet. But... Um, That was something that I found. I don't know if I pitched it too hot. Like it was like one degree over maybe. So it may have just been a little bit too hot, but that was something that I ran into. So after it's done fermenting, then you transfer it into bottles. So you do have to do bottle conditioning for these because there is going to be sediment from the apples. So you don't want that to, I mean, I guess you could put it in a keg, but I feel like you could run into a situation like you have with some of your beers where you get clogged lines and all that stuff. So it's they recommend doing it in bottles and then you bottle condition and you let it clear in the bottles for a decent amount of time. It's a couple of weeks, but before you put in the bottles, we added the sweetener packet. So either you could do no sweetener packet, which just means it's going to be a dry cider or you could do half the packet and that's kind of like an off dry or the whole just makes it very sweet. So we had ended up doing because the bucket I used, also didn't have a lot of space at the top cuz it was
0: pretty full. So I had I had noticed that when she had finished before she like as she pitched her yeast that the amount of liquid in her 6 gallon bucket was almost to the brim of the bucket.
1: Yeah, so it was a, it was 7 gallons worth of the water.
0: <laughs> yeah, so I think maybe there was a little bit more water than you intended to put in or something where I, I was like, well, maybe there's not enough headspace in here for actu- the yeast to actually do its work and enough oxygen in the top to then come have the CO2 come out. So maybe that also attributed to it. So we decided to split it into two different buckets so that it really could have enough room. And also yeah. what it would allow us to do is to do one as a dry cider and mm-hmm. one as a sweet cider so that... If it came out too sweet, if you put in too much of that sweetener, you didn't basically ruin a whole batch that you wouldn't be able to drink if you thought it was too sweet or too dry.
1: Yeah, so that allowed us, we kind of split it up because like James said, there wasn't a lot of headroom in the original bucket that I was using. So we had split it up. And so when it came time to add the sweetener, we're like, well, why not kind of make this a double batch almost by doing one dry, one semi-sweet. So that's what we ended up doing. I think we got... I mean, we ended up bottling and using the priming sugar because in order to carbonate, you have to put the priming sugar in. And I think we got, I thought it was like 30-something bottles in total. Yeah, totals? we used
0: some of the 22-ounce bigger bottles as well as some of the 12-ounce bottles. So we used about like three cases. I think we did we did like two cases or two um, 12s of the 22-ounce. And then I think we did a, a box of the 12 maybe two boxes.
1: Yeah. So we got a decent amount out of it, which was great. And then you're supposed to leave those to condition and clear for, it says five days and then an additional seven days on top of that. So it's going to take about two weeks for those to clear and condition in the bottle. So it is a little bit, I mean, I guess it's technically the same time as sometimes you leave a beer before you consume it, but just something to keep in mind that you have to bottle those until you're it's ready to consume and it really it highly recommends you do those in the bottle so a couple of things that I found a little frustrating with this kit just from my observations is one everything is in a nice little compact bag which is great but you have to in order I was trying to plan my day and make sure that I would have enough time to do all of the steps and figure out if I had everything that I needed and in order to get the instruction packet out you have to open the bag but the bag is not resealable And there's like two compartments. So there's one compartment where the concentrated liquid is. And then the other compartment has the dry ingredients and your instruction packet. But there's no like seal on the wet side of the bag. So when I opened up the kit to read the instructions, it was just open. So the concentration was like open to the air. Like there was no way for me to reseal it after the fact.
0: Yeah, that would be a nice touch to have like a seat. Yeah. Almost like a zip lock. Yeah, like a little just like
1: zip top on the, at least on the concentration side I mean, or on the whole bag in general, like just on the whole kit have a zip top, but it was a little frustrating because I said, well, what if I didn't have enough time to do this today? And I was just trying to figure out like
0: what the what instructions, I needed, were, what the instructions
1: right? were, but in order to get those, I had to open it. And now I was kind of stuck doing it, which luckily I did have enough time anyways, but I just felt like I was, well, now I guess I have to do this day because the bag's open and I've got no way to seal it back up. So that was my first encounter that wasn't. I wasn't really thrilled about. So just want to warn folks if you do get this mangrove Jack kit, that that's the case. That if you open the bag, it's open and you can't close it back up. So just be aware. And the other thing that I noticed, and I feel like this is similar for some, a lot of kits that are used for like starters is, and this is just me forgetting because I feel like James, you're just more natural and like you just automatically do these things or remember to write them down. But there was nowhere on the kit that specifically told you to take the starting gravity. So I did take it, but then I promptly forgot what it was or flash wrote it down and forgot where I wrote it down. So when it came time to, when we were about to bottle, it says to check the gravity to make sure it's ready to bottle. And James was like, well, where's your starting gravity? And I was like, I don't know. I I wrote it down somewhere, but I can't (laughs) find it. And I was like, and I can't remember what it was. So, I think it would have been helpful on the kit itself to instruct people to take that gravity because it's not on there double checked because I was like oh I think I wrote it next to the instructions of to do it but there are no instructions to do it so I honestly don't know where I put it.
0: And that's one of the things on instructions where at least for a lot of starter beer kits they have a blank space there and they say take your original you're gravity an og, OG yeah. and they have the line there so then you are if you're following the direction step by step you can literally write it right there on your instructions which i didn't see
1: yeah there's no spot and that was also just me not being in the right mindset like i feel like you just automatically do it because you're so used to that just another step in the process where i don't brew as often as you do so it was something that i remembered to do but then i don't really have a system of where i should put it or anything like that so but i, I feel, just
0: i feel like too it was a different Experience for you, where you weren't like, all right, I'm making a beer, like your pumpkin beer. You immediately took the gravity. I think it was more of you were like, all right, I'm making a cider, so I don't know if I need to take a gravity or not, or when in the process Mm -hmm. I need to take this gravity reading. Similar to when you made the the wine as well.
1: Yeah, I mean the one nice thing about Mangrove Jack is there is a QR code you can scan. So you have when you go to that site, it does have all of like what gravity should be, but that's what they should be like in the end not here's what the og should be and here's what it should be before you bottle type thing so
0: and so the limitation with that it's not going to do anything to the flavor of the cider no, or any just, of that it's I don't just know more of how powerful it is <laughs> now we can't say like all right it's a 4.1% cider because all we ha- will have is our end number unless we use what it should have been if you assume that it was you know hit if she hit the gravity Originally, but that's never a good idea to assume yeah. anything.
1: Yeah, so that's just a little. I wish there was more of a prompt there. Or so it's, just, gonna
0: a, a it's gonna be a scary mystery. It's gonna be mystery, but also the I OG just, ghosted us.
1: Yeah. Once you put it into bottle condition, it says for clearer cider, you're actually supposed to leave it for an additional two weeks on top of that. So it could be up to a month until the until the cider
0: is ready. So. I mean, that makes sense too, because for me, when I think of ciders, I think they're being stored. Cold store, yeah, Yeah. like longer to clear, really get that clarity up, like in in like a good pilsner or a good blonde. Mm -hmm. The longer you have that chilled, and you get that clarity, the better it it will be for color.
1: Yeah, so technically, I think ours will be ready tomorrow or the day after, and we could pop one over and open and taste it.
0: And as well, the stout that I had bottled is ready and done, and it seems the carbonation perfect. And mm-hmm. it's a good, just standard stout. And I mean, that sounds terrible. Like, oh, it's a good standard stout. By standard, I mean it th- It doesn't have vanilla. It doesn't have any, it's There's not no chocolate. Additives. There's no it's additives. Just it's just a good, solid, pure, stout. pure dry stout. And that's one of the great things about a stout is, especially as it's getting a little colder, it's a 4.1% stout. So it's not like the imperial stout mm-hmm. that we had done with the whiskey before. That was a 10.1% the 12% stout, this imperial stout, this is just a good, yeah. easy drinking stout. Standard stout. So, and I decided to bottle those as well mm-hmm. because of the fact that we've been brewing so much that our kegs, I'm out of kegs and I, I've i had, I have seven <laughs> kegs and I, I don't have a single one free.
1: Which is great because we do need to transfer some of our other beers today.
0: Yeah, that'll be right after this recording. We'll be transferring... Yeah. The New England IPA, that smells phenomenal, and it's going to be an awesome beer. I think it's going to finish at about 7 to 7.5%, and and Mm -hmm. that's a New England IPA, the first one I've brewed. And it just the smell and the aroma from that is just um, incredible already, and I can't wait to taste it.
1: Yeah, so we did a double brew day that day, and James did his New England IPA, which he was very excited about. And then after he was done, I did my pumpkin beer. And this is, yeah, and this is one of the great Surprise. things
0: I love about this SS BrewTech three three vessel setup that I have and being the 240 vault versus what we were using with the grandfather of th- we don't have the limitation that we had in the single vessel of being back to back brews. Mm-hmm. Now again, the only thing I found with doing the back to back double batch on this, because there are different styles unlike if you were brewing another batch of the same beer if you wanted to make the same beer you wouldn't have to do a a clean of your lines or anything because it would be the same beer style so you wouldn't have to worry about say your hops the hops going into the pumpkin beer in this case i had to make sure that everything was good and solid rinsed in between so basically what i did was i had the hot liquor tank going once i had my New England IPA out of the mash tun and going into the boil kettle, I was able to heat up my HLT water to start flushing out all the lines going up to the point of the mash tun so that I would then be able to mash, Shannon would be able to mash in while I was finishing up the boil. Mm -hmm. However, the only thing in my particular setup is I have the valve tree as the center part where it shares the connection going from not only the mash tun, but also to the boil kettle and then through my filter to my chiller. So I pretty much had to wait to start her pumpkin beer until I was transferring Mm -hmm. out of my boil kettle. However, that only lost maybe 15 minutes of time because I was just quickly able to, I had everything else rinsed with the hot liquor tank water. I just basically put it up to boil temp in my HLT, ran that water through to flush out that. And I just quickly flushed it at the end of my New England IPA. So it was just like that. She was able to mash in like yep. right as I was transferring into my fermenter with my New England IPA. So that was a huge time saver. Mm-hmm. In total, it was like, what, six hours total for uh, both? I think it no, was I think it was like, time.
1: I think for both, it was probably about eight hours. Maybe a little bit more. Yeah, so because we ended, pro- right. I think it was like almost eight o'clock, seven thirty eight. By the time we were done with everything, I mean,
0: I was impressed of the time. I thought two a two double yeah brew no would have would have took in at least twelve hours. I mean, you
1: didn't start. I don't think you really started yours until like ten or eleven in the morning. So yeah, it was like. I late. mean, to end at eight o'clock at night is not too
0: bad, and that's with everything cleaned, everything ready to go for the next brew day as well. And again, mm-hmm. that was kind of nice of just going. Like I kind of like doing the double batch because then your system's already kind of ready to go. You don't have to do the deep, deep clean before because, again, we use a brew bag for our grains, so we were just able to quickly lift the grains out so we didn't have to scoop out the grains. Yeah. We just did a rinse of the mash tun to get any residual left out of there. So it was, it was a good... Double brew day, I think it was very successful. And it was the first time getting to put the new Spike CF-10 to good use. He
1: was very excited.
0: I was very excited. And again, it was so easy because the, again, the lid has so many ports that it was so easy to transfer from the chiller into the Spike setup. Mm -hmm. And I really do love that sample valve on the Spike. Taking my reading from that was a breeze and it was just a good setup, I think. Yeah. For not having all the extras attachments for a spike. It's a good solid fermenter, just as is with what comes with it.
1: Yeah, so I'm excited to see how those come out. And I, I used the same recipe for the pumpkin beers last year. So we'll see if there's any big differences. But I think it's gonna be about the same. And everyone enjoyed it. So I'm I'm excited.
0: Yeah, and one of the other great things with this spike fermenter that I found was the two inch dump valve on the bottom of the conical was incredible for getting rid of my yeast um, when I dumped the yeast after 48 hours after. Whereas normally in the smaller connection at the bottom, like sometimes you have to be very careful because it'll just clog and then you'll open it full way and you'll see all those pictures on the Instagram of just yeast everywhere on someone's floor because out Mm -hmm. of nowhere, it'll just break that seal and just come shooting out. This was like Instantly quick, everything came out that needed to close it up, easy to clean. It was just flawless for getting that yeast out without any extra attachments. So I think if you were going to collect your yeast, like having a sight glass at the bottom there would be so easy with that two inch, the larger diameter of that piping to get the the most out of the yeast without, you know, taking more time.
1: Yeah. So we'll be working on that later today. Get it ready. So we also had the opportunity recently to finally, after a lot of talk from my brother, visit Space Cat in Norwalk, Connecticut. Did I say that right, James?
0: I think you did. Okay, thanks. You didn't say Connecticut. I don't say
1: it like that. But yeah, so we finally made it over there, had a few, few beers. I obviously started with the pumpkin beer.
0: Of course, but it was an Imperial pumpkin. Yeah, it was
1: an Imperial pumpkin. It. I mean, Imperial pumpkin spiced ale. And I thought it had a good balance of the spice. I wouldn't say it was overpowering. We are actually just talking to our friend about how he's not a huge fan of pumpkin beers because of the spice. And I feel like this was a good mix and had more of the gordy pumpkin-ness to it than spice. It's not like a shipyard where it's pure spice. Like it's not like pumpkin pie spice. It was like a good earthy
0: yeah, I think, pumpkin. Yeah, I think the majority of people who like pumpkin beers like the spice to- aspect of it and again that's kind of what makes it the pumpkin ale i'm on team squash beer where i like the pump the only pumpkin beer that i really have enjoyed has been subtle on the spice and it's Mm -hmm. been more of just just a squash beer
1: yeah i mean their pump their menu when you like we're looking at the menu for the description it just says you know the deal
0: which is awesome i thought that was really clever and really fun to put that there
1: and then I also had a chance to try the Limelight, which was a kettled soured ale. And it was fermented with fresh limes and raspberries. And so the tartness from the limes I thought was definitely more prevalent than the raspberries, but that sweetness really gave it a good balance on the back end. And it had like a kind of like a malty, like a drier finish on it. So I thought that was enjoyable. I would definitely have that again if I was back.
0: Yeah, and the great thing about this brewery too is it was it had a nice outdoor area of tables, dog friendly, mm-hmm. with Edison lights, and the inside had it was just gorgeous—a brick, brick interior with the fermenters, and they yeah. did a great job. They had a cart with the pumpkins. If you look on our Instagram page, you can see a picture from that, and it was just a great vibe overall. So, like the beers, just naturally, I'm like just looking at how they did everything with their brewery itself. I'm like, all right, these beers are going to be good. So I tried, first, was the West Coast IPA, which is called Tree Cat. They use honey malt, tangerine, lemon, and they had lime aroma to it. And it was aggressively bitter, I would say, but I loved it in this beer for this West Coast style. At least in my opinion, it was pretty bitter. And it was just delicious. And then I was like, ooh, I don't even know if I want to come off of this, but I'm like, i got to try something else. (laughs) So... Everyone around me was drinking the, their New England IPA, Orion. You know, the galaxies on Orion's belt. Men in Black, yeah. Yeah. I love that reference. We got it. And the can is so cool because it's got the little galaxy. Uh,
1: I mean, yeah, it's it, the brewery is called Space Cat. I know. So, so it was really cool that it played
0: <laughs> into their whole brewery theme, which is amazing. And that had strata, mosaic, and Simcoe hops. And this was a very tropical beer for a new england ipa which i love about new england ipas and they just nailed it i'm like this is the one of the best new england ipas i've had and we're from massachusetts with Mm -hmm. some of the big hitters with new england ipas and it had a nice tropical aroma of mango some passion fruit and guava which really is characteristic of a new england ipa that i tend to gravitate towards so that's my pick beating out the west coast ipa they also had a great deal of, as we were mentioning, it's fall season. So they had a Mars and they had Pilsner, they had a lager, and those were pretty tasty as well. But I tend to go gravitate towards the big, what's the sexier beers, I guess you'd say, these days. <laughs> but again, I, I definitely, if I went back, I would enjoy some of their lagers and Pilsners and maybe try a flight. Because I did see they did have flights at this brewery.
1: We're not going to start that debate. We're not going to start again. this one again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it was... I did like the vibe with the food truck. Uh, it was just funny because before we went, we were just kind of asking like, oh, like what's the seating situation like? Because we knew we'd have a stroller with us and just asking, you know, all of the questions you know I have to ask as a parent when you go to a brewery. And my brother was like, oh, it's usually pretty good. Like it's... I've never seen it like standing room only. It's like can get busy, but not that busy. And then we show up and there's literally nowhere to sit. It is standing room only. It was just... So funny that he said that. And then it was the exact opposite when we got there.
0: But it was perfect. I mean, the, the outdoor space was perfect enough where we could stand outside and enjoy a beer. And
1: Yeah. No, I, I mean, it worked out. It's I mean, it's the typical like when you see someone get up, you go grab their table. So it wasn't like we didn't have anywhere to sit. But it was it was just I thought it was just funny.
0: Yeah. So we had a great time and special shout out to their amazing taproom manager, Michelle, and the brew tenders that were on this night, Carrie and Colin, they were doing a great job of just managing the bar, making sure that everyone was getting served. In a, like, so you go into some breweries and they're chatting with one or two customers, and then they just don't stop chatting to those customers and you're standing there for like 15 minutes. They did a really good job of making sure everyone was welcome and getting all those beers out as fast as they possibly could with also mm-hmm. Like asking, like, how's it going? Like, where are you from? Like, they were like very personable, um, for as well trying to get the beers out there as fast as possible. So I appreciated that, and I think they also had some mixed cocktails or some Mm -hmm. other options as well, which is great. Um, And they were promoting those as well on on their menu for those who are asking. Oh, do you have anything other than beer? And they also were mentioning their non alcoholic options as well. So.
1: Yeah, they had kombucha and they had soda, water, seltzer, juices. They like had they had it all.
0: I was shocked when they had kombucha too.
1: I mean, I feel like a lot of places now have that because it's, it's yeah. also a fermented drink. So
0: that's true. <laughs> but yeah, I, I couldn't find anything wrong with any of their beers. Not that I ever find anything wrong with beers, but I, I enjoyed every single beer that I had from them. So it was definitely a good experience. And definitely if you're in Norwalk, Connecticut, definitely check out Space Cat Brewing.
1: For sure. Okay. Well, I think that's enough beer and homebrew talk for today.
0: That's enough beer for our beer and homebrewing podcast, (laughs) says Shannon.
1: Let's move on to something different. Let's talk bread. Let's talk Harry
0: Potter. (laughs)
1: We want to thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Double Hot Beat. We are always looking for homebrewers to come on the show and share your story. So feel free to send us a direct message and also follow us on our Instagram at Double Hotbeat Podcast.
0: And remember to rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform that really helps us reach new listeners. And thanks again for listening. This has been Double, Double Hot Beat. Catch, Catch you on, on the, the brew side. side. We'll mm-hmm.